Hello, welcome to the IDEAS podcast. Inclusive, digital, educational, anti-discriminatory alternatives. You're listening to module 4, Body, Health and LGBTQI plus rights. Episode 4, Sexual Health, Pleasure and More. What is sex? Is there only one kind of sex? Are sexual practices gendered? How is sexual health related to all of these? How many forms of relationships are out there? How can I choose? How can I practice safe sex but keep the pleasure? Is a condom the only way to protect myself and others? How are all these related to queer community? And what is sex positivity? These are only some questions we will try to answer on the fourth podcast of Color Youth Athens LGBTQ Youth Community today. Welcome again to our podcast series by Color Youth Athens LGBT Youth Community. My name is Jay and I use the pronouns she or they. I am Kate and I use she, her pronouns. This series of podcasts have been created based on our experiences and knowledge as LGBTQI plus activists and queer femininities living in Greece. In this podcast, we are going to talk a bit more about non-heteronormative relationships and how are sexual practices being connected to sexual health. To be more specific, we're going to face the taboo of sexuality and talk more about what sex is in the beginning. Before we start, it is important to mention some trigger warnings. We will talk about sexual techniques, masturbation, consent, non-consensual experiences, stealthing. Thus, we will also talk about traumatic experiences. Though we try to make this podcast as smooth and less hurtful as possible, it may upset you. So it's okay to skip any part of the podcast, pause or even withdraw from the podcast if this feels the best for you. Let's start our discussions and explore this very interesting topic starting from the past. So, I don't know if you're familiar with the Greek history, but our story will start from there. Sappho sang of desire, passion and love. As new fragments of her work are found, a fuller picture of her is emerging. But she remains the most mysterious of ancient poets. In a world dominated by men, Sappho's songs were considered to be extraordinary and unusual. The ancients called her the Tenth Muse, and her songs were passed down over centuries, inspiring generations of poets none of whom managed to replicate her way of making art. Sappho is known for her poetry about female attraction. Quote, The girl adored you more than anything, as if you were a goddess. Unquote. Homosexuality was common in ancient Greece and well documented among males in prose, poetry, music, and through iconic images and pottery. Sappho's poetry is one of the few sources of information that exist about love between women in the ancient world. The discussion of her sexuality, mostly negatively, often comes from pieces of her poetry. 
women's sexuality through the male gaze was confusing and contradicting in ancient Greece. Women were supposed to balance both being wild and unruly. The author, Paige Dubois, whose work focuses on Sappho and ancient Greece, describes Sappho's poetry as, quote, one of the few texts which break the silence of women in antiquity, an instant in which women become more than the objects of men's desire, unquote. Sappho has given the to following generations an important point of view on ancient Greek society, specifically a feminine view. Unequal in society, little is recorded or known about women of her time, and what has survived is mostly masking women as male possessions. Sappho's artwork is a valuable source for history in general, and specifically of great importance to femininities and queer communities nowadays. Sappho's poetry opens a small window in the lives of women and queer women in ancient Greece, shaping the untold female, LGBTQ, lesbian and Sapphic history. The example of Sappho is one of the many unspoken and silent stories of non-heteronormative experiences. Sappho is one of the very few examples of historically documented visibility of women's sexuality. And this visibility brings into the surface the sexualization of women, the perception of men having women as sexual objects, and most importantly, it came into words. Finally, the fact that women were enjoying sexual activities, that we are free to choose to have sex or not that we are free to enjoy or stop the intercourse and that the main goal can be finally our pleasure and not necessarily having children. So coming to our current era, we can still see patriarchal behaviors and misogynist comments wanting women as an inferior gender and of course having less rights regarding sexuality and pleasure. Knowing nowadays that sex is not only related to women and men, but so many different genders and sexualities, everything is changing. So let's ask ourselves a basic question. What is sex? Well, it is a general truth that for many people, sex is mainly synonymous with intercourse. Stereotypically speaking, sex is the penetration of a penis into the vagina, also known as vaginal sex. Yet there are many ways to define sex. Sex may include penetration or no penetration, intercourse or no intercourse. There are several ways to have sex, which can involve a variety of techniques, practices and behaviors, including oral sex, anal sex, fingering, and or the use of sex toys. And of course, a sexual technique is not something gendered. All genders can have sex with any way they like it and they enjoy it. From what I hear, I understand that there is not only one way of having sex. What about masturbation? Is there a right or wrong way to masturbate? First, let's recognize that masturbation in many cultures, including ours, is considered a taboo and we barely talk about it. However, for many people, their first sexual activity is masturbation. Masturbation involves touching yourself through stimulation. Masturbation can be described as a good way to learn about what kind of touching you enjoy. It is a normal activity that people may do alone or with a partner. 
Some people masturbate every day, some people masturbate occasionally, and some people never masturbate. Also, sex toys are sometimes used to enhance masturbation. Keep in mind, there is no wrong way to masturbate. However, there are a few things that help us make masturbation safer. For example, to avoid putting fragile, sharp, unclean objects into a vagina or anus because they can cause tearing or infection. Also, all the sex toys that we are using during masturbation should be kept clean and avoid using the same toys in both anus and vagina. And remember, keep your hands clean, folks, before and after masturbation. Similar practices should be followed also during sex, starting to discuss about sexual practices and sexual health. We should keep in mind that every technique has its own protective methods and includes more risky methods regarding sexual health-related issues. Let's start with intercourse. Intercourse can be vaginal or anal. There are many different techniques that people can choose for intercourse. For example, intercourse can involve a penis or penises, fingers, fists, or sex toys to penetrate the vagina or the anus for sexual pleasure. Protection during intercourse is important regardless of sexual practice. Condoms help a lot on preventing the spread of sexually transmitted infections and can be used not only for a penis, but also for sex toys, fists and fingers. The use of condoms is also one of the birth control methods. There are many options that people can consider before or after having sex to avoid pregnancy, but we won't discuss it here. Back to sexual practices. If someone uses a sex toy, it is important to have a new condom for each partner between penetration. Sex toys should be washed with soap, preferably an antibacterial soap, and water between sessions. For anal intercourse, the use of water-based lubricant is a must for an easier and a safer anal intercourse. However, not all people enjoy anal or vaginal sex or intercourse in general. Though some people find these practices pleasurable, some people do not enjoy them and maybe even find them painful in a bad way. Also a hint here, pain is not always a bad thing when it is consensual and brings pleasure to all participants. Communication is a key during sex. Sometimes it helps to communicate what we like or not and set boundaries before sex. And it makes sex much more pleasurable when we communicate with our partner or partners whatever we feel comfortable with a practice or not. For example, some people with vulva don't like vaginal intercourse at all, but they enjoy anal intercourse or they don't enjoy neither of them and prefer other practices, such as oral sex. Using the mouth or tongue to stimulate another person's genitals is considered oral sex. Oral sex can also involve the rimming, which is the use of mouth or tongue to stimulate another person's anal. A useful protection tool for oral sex is the dental dam. Okay, let's be honest. Who uses dental dam? I mean, really? <laughs> I see. Even though dental dams have been out there the last few years, people do not use them frequently. So first, to make clear, a dental dam is a latex or a polyurethane sheet created to block off teeth for dental surgery and repurposed to prevent sexually transmitted infections during oral sex. Honestly, I am not very familiar with this. Can you explain how it is used during sex? 
It isn't very complicated. You put it between your mouth and your partner's vulva and lick just as you would without one. Oral sex can transmit herpes, gonorrhea, and other sexually transmitted infections, and dental dams can prevent that transmission. But to be honest, I haven't once met anyone who used a dental dam for oral sex. So what's going on here? Does using dental dams suck so much that we've collectively decided that avoiding them is worth the health risks? I mean, they look super weird. Well, there are multiple reasons for the disparate visibility between condoms and dental dams. First of all, when we talk about safe sex, we often focus on pregnancy prevention instead of sexually transmitted infection, STI prevention. In fact, many people are afraid to even bring up STIs at all due to the stigma and phobia around them. Using a dental dam that only prevents disease comes with the subtext that the partner is diseased, people say. Secondly, even when we do discuss STI prevention, we often think that having oral sex is excluding us from transmitting something to others. Maybe part of this is true, but it's definitely still possible. And despite this easy way to minimize the risk, many of us still aren't taking care in advance. The stigma around the dental dam can be traced beyond just STIs, down to the very root of our social stereotypes and prejudices of sex and sexual practices. From my point of view, it's not a chance the fact that I've been discussing about dental dam within LGBTQ plus circles and with friends of mine who are queer, and I don't have one cis masculine friend who identifies himself as a man who is more friendly to this ideology of protection. And this is something which makes me wonder why. Maybe this is another discussion and another analysis. Getting back on track regarding femininities, women and queer people, we should keep in mind that. One, each partner does not have a gender role in the relationship. For example, it is not necessary that one partner uses penetration to the other. Lesbians, like all other people, for example, may embrace a wide range of roles. Often, partners switch roles or have different types of sexual techniques. And no, none of us is the man in the relationship. Two, scissoring is one sexual technique some people use, but this is not the case for everyone. It is not the first time that media reproduce semi-false or inaccurate interpretation of what lesbian sex, for instance, is. Three, femininities and women having sexual experiences with other femininities and women does mean that pregnancy in some cases is still possible. Gender and sexual attraction is not directly related with physical characteristics such as genitals. This is also a reminder to everyone who listens this, that people are not at a lower or no risk at all based on their sexual orientation. And last but not least, like everyone else, femininities and women's interest in sexual experiences varies from person to person and across the lifespan. I think we have covered a lot of information. Coming back to protection practices, 
to my opinion, it is best to avoid oral sex if either of you has any cuts or sores in the mouth or on the lips, except if you want to use a dental dam. Some infections can also be transmitted by hands, fingers and mutual vulval rubbing as we know. From my experience, latex gloves can be very useful. Moreover, use plenty of water-based lubricant for vaginal and anal fisting if this is your cup of tea. Honestly speaking, my experience showed me that every person or persons will find out about the form of contraception that suits best. And of course, get tested. With your partner or partners or with your friends or alone, go for a test to prevent and protect yourself and others. It is a relief that one can find places to get informed and tested for free and anonymously. As you mentioned, partner or partners, maybe it's time to discuss about the different relationship types and connecting it with sexual health. Yes, shall we do the exercise we discussed? Sure. I would like to invite everyone to take a minute and think. What is a relationship? Is it between you and your favorite person? Is this only one? Are you having sexual relationships with different people? Romantic attraction is not your cup of tea. Or is it the favorite part of your connections with others? Relationships can have very important and special roles in our lives. You can have a relationship with yourself, your family, your friends, your romantic partners. Options are endless. It is up to you to decide the type of relationships you want to have in your life. A lot of people find happiness and comfort through intimate relationships, whether they involve sexual activity or not. Relationships that involve sexual activity might be monogamous, non-monogamous, polyamorous. All different forms. Keep in mind that you have the right to choose the relationships you want to have in a way that is consensual, trusting and respectful. Yay! Let's break it down a bit to have an insight about the forms of relationships. Socially accepted things first. Monogamy. Monogamy is when a person has only one sexual or romantic partner at a time. However, while monogamy is great for many people, there are also many fulfilling options outside of monogamy. You might also find the common misconception that monogamy is meant for straight cisgender couples. Well, monogamy is right for whoever wants to be monogamous regardless of gender and sexuality. It is important that you decide by yourself and with your partner or partners what is best for you and your lifestyle. And of course, when choosing to have a sexual partner or partners, it is essential to think about how to have safer sex and what that might look like. Non-monogamy, on the other hand, is when a person has or is open to having more than one sexual or romantic partner at a time. This term can apply to anything that is outside of monogamy. In fact, there are many different forms of non-monogamy and it will look different for each non-monogamous relationship. People may choose to be in a non-monogamous relationship for many reasons, just as someone may choose to be in a monogamous relationship for many different reasons. Despite what some people might say, there is nothing wrong with non-monogamy if it feels right for you. 
When choosing to have more than one sexual partner, it is important to think about how to have safer sex with each partner and what that might look like. This involves a lot of trust, respect, and communication. And most importantly, do what makes you feel nice and safe. While you were saying all this useful information, I was thinking about consent. Consent means that you have given permission or that someone has given you permission to engage in any intimate activity. Consent is an essential part of healthy relationships, and it is most important to know what it is and the many ways to spot it. Both you and the person or persons you're with always need to consent before sex or any intimate activity. From my experience, it is common for people to engage in behaviors like shaming forms or criticism, mocking contempt and defensive blame or shutting down in relationships. This can be very struggling and all of the above acts are examples of non-consensual behaviors. But they are rarely framed in this way because it is so normalized in our culture to treat people in these ways within relationships. The common idea with a physical, sexual, and emotional abuse is that most relationships are considered to be normal and non-abusive, and only some exceptions are abusive, which is a very specific issue. This division is unhelpful because it encourages us as survivors and any person in general to keep asking the binary question or whether a situation is bad enough to count as abuse and only counting it and feeling able to address it if it meets the legally accepted criteria. Instead, we can define consent as the degree to which people feel safe enough and free enough in a relationship to be open about their needs and boundaries and express their fears or insecurities. Always keep in mind that this is not something easy and it needs a lot of courage, self-care, supportive environment and time. And most importantly, it demands from us to try not to criticize ourselves and be so strict with our feelings, but also to prioritize our self-value first. Well, this makes me think about one experience a friend of mine had. And I was really shocked when she told me about having a sexual intercourse with another person. And at some point, he tried to take the condom off without saying anything. Yes, this is actually a thing. Unfortunately, nowadays, and it is completely relatable to the definition of consent. Stealthing is when a person purposely removes or damages a condom during sexual contact without telling to the other person involved. Stealthing is considered sexual assault by sexual violence prevention experts because it essentially turns a consensual sexual encounter into a non-consensual one, which is the unprotected sex. It's also exceptionally dangerous. Purposefully and secretly removing or damaging a condom opens up both partners to the risk of contracting sexually transmitted infections. An explanation to this can be that people who practice or promote non-consensual condom removal root their actions in misogyny and investment in men's sexual supremacy. If someone has been stealthed, the most important thing to remember is that it's not this person's, their fault. It's assault. 
and they should seek physical and psychosocial support. And as far as I am concerned, there are no legal consequences in Greece for this act, which is unacceptable. We should have in mind that we have every right to speak. If something doesn't feel right for us, that is not our fault. If the other person tries to remove the condom and we have control over our bodies, our bodily autonomies. I am glad that we can discuss these very important issues in order to bring more visibility and inform all people listening right now. Yes, you're absolutely right. Coming to an end, I would like to thank you, Kate, for sharing this discussion with me. It is always helpful and a relief to have this kind of a conversation. Jay, it was my pleasure. Let's hope in the future we will have more opportunities for discussing openly all these and crucial issues such as consent, relationships, sex and protection. That was a podcast about sex, sexual health, pleasure and more by Color Youth, Athens LGBTQ youth community. Stay tuned for our next podcast about disabled queer femininities. Until then, keep queering. Queering.